Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solid chair board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 55, A Day at the Beach. Hi again, everybody. Today's show should be a good one. Today, uh, I have an interview with Herman Lutman, and then I talk about his game, A Spoiled Victory, Dunkirk 1940. Now, let me give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes information. I've actually already recorded the interview. I actually recorded in two parts because uh, I had an interruption here at my house. So we took a short break and then continued it. You probably won't notice that in the podcast. You might also hear my cats in there and my phone go off at some point. But, you know, ignore all that and enjoy the interview because Herman was very interesting to talk to and it was quite a pleasure. Now that I've got you excited, before we do that, let's look at the news. First up... um. A lot of my news comes from BGG News. Uh, this one's no exception. The There is a picture available of not final art for Ornirim and two other games by Shady Torbe, Castellon and Sylveon. These are three games in the universe, and apparently there's going to be three more, including a new edition of Urbion, I think. The new Ornirim, the box is a little bit bigger. It's a square box. It's like something like 6.5 by 6.5 inches. It has the extra expansions. I think I'd mentioned them before. It seems like the game's going to be coming out soon. I don't know when yet. I'm pretty excited. I'm disappointed that the box is not the same size as it was before. Because I'm obsessive about box sizes. But oh well. Next, also from BGG News. This is interesting. There's a game called Cities of Dark Scorch. It's for 1-6 through six players. It is by a record label called The Numero Group. It's some sort of dungeon crawl game. And... I'm going to read you the description, which I copied straight out of the BGG News. Cities of Dark Scorch is a playable companion to Warfaring Strangers, Dark Scorch Canicles, the label's 48th mainline release, and a harrowing dive into the Stygian caverns of the American hard rock underground. A dice-rolling, card-driven, heavy, heavy rock band fan ride through a fantasy landscape. Cities of Dark Scorch could not begin to exist without Robert Sodden, who in 1975 set about creating a tapestry of maps, floor plans, and dungeon schema, the D&D baselines of Eldara. Expanding upon Sodden's meticulous visions, Cities of Dark Scorch required newly commissioned card art and band logos to summon up a gravely themed mythical land of desolate outposts, warring bands, and the familiar ills that befall them. Role playing as any of Dark Scorch's canicle's 16 determined bands, 1 to 6 players traverse the broken roads of Dark Scorch, battling such forbidding quartets as Grimsword, Narcissus, the Ass Centaur, and 97 more to collect city banners from such pits of hard rock competition as Afterdath, Wizard's Wellspring, and Throck. Along the way, players may augment their bands through the use of fake cards with new artwork from the demand. Demented Mind of John McGovick Magano and Eliza Childress. The ultimate goal is Numenor. Victory and a record contract penned in Brimstone, VD, and Potsmoke. That, that just sounds weird. Um, You know, I, I did a little more research. I went looking at the website for the record label and I looked up some of the art from these artists and that sort of stuff. And Very interesting, you know, weird sort of psychedelic art. Some of it is, anyway. At least art by the artist, not necessarily for this game. There is also going to be an expansion for the game, a, a very limited release, which I believe came with a, comes with a box set of the albums. And basically, the, this game is, an, is a, an accessory for the record, kind of like in the old... I remember back in the 70s, if you bought a Kiss album, it always had something in there, like the Love Gun album had a little paper Love Gun that you could play with. And I guess this is sort of along those lines where you buy the record and has some extra stuff in it. There is a new podcast called the Printing and Playing Podcast. It's not specifically on solitaire games, but it does cover solitaire games. At least it has so far. They've um, the host has done about three shows so far. Like I say, the sound quality is one of the best I've heard for for a new show. The the host is very sounds very confident and very clear, and it was a very interesting show. So check that out. Okay, some more podcast news. On the D6 generation is going to have an episode on solitaire gaming with John Gibson, the designer of Infection. Um, check that out. That I 
Don't know when it's coming out. I'm guessing it's the next show. I used to listen to D6G in the past, but it was a four-hour episode every two weeks or so, and I could just I just couldn't keep up with that. However, it's a, it's a good quality show, so it should be interesting. Check it out. And uh, one more piece of news I have. There's a new States of Siege game just out called Mound Builders. Um, it looks interesting. The description it seems pretty... Well, the description makes it sound pretty unique, so that's uh, another one worth looking into. Okay, that that's enough of me rambling on. Let's jump into the interview. Let's see. Okay, all right. So today I have uh, Herman Lutman, designer of a, a few games, uh, a few solitaire games as well, a few other games. Um, he's designed Dawn of the Zeds and In Magnificent Style for Victory Point Games and A Spoiled Victory, Dunkirk 1940 for White Dog Games. Hi, Herman. How you doing? Hey, Albert. Thank you for having, yep. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for being here. I, I really appreciate it, too. Um, yeah, I want to talk to you, well, especially now that you just published uh, the game on Dunkirk, but I want to talk about all the games you've done. Um, mm-hmm. I've been lucky to play all of them, and they've all been really neat. They've all been really good so far. Thank you, and I, I appreciate you reviewing them, and you do a wonderful review. Oh, thanks. Um so, so let me let me just ask you some questions, I guess. So, when did you get into gaming? Oh boy, it was about when I was twelve or thirteen years old. So about nineteen sixty nine, I found a copy of Avalon Hill's Stalingrad in a uh, toy and bicycle shop, and the cover intrigued me. So I decided to buy it with my uh, with my earnings from washing dishes and bussing tables at my father's restaurant. <laughs> Oh, and nice. I took it home, and I was uh, immediately hooked. And uh, I bought all those early Avalon Hill games. I remember playing Midway and Jutland and, and Battle of the Bulge, all those. And then eventually I got into, I read the Alnavco log I picked up somewhere. I don't remember where. And I became fascinated with the Alnavco 1-1200 scale ships. So I got into miniatures at that point. Okay. I don't know if you remember those ships, but those were beautiful. Uh, well, I don't know if they're even still making them, but they were these huge uh, metal uh, waterline ships. They were just gorgeous, and uh, that took up a lot of my time. And I got into uh, System 7 Napoleonics after that, and it went on from there. <laughs> it okay. never stopped. Did you, did you paint all those miniatures? Uh, the Alnavco ships, no. Uh, those came in like a steel color. I'd spray paint them gray a lot of times. Oh, yeah. uh, the System 7 Napoleonics, if you remember, they were made by GDW. Those were cardboard counters with uh, the uh, the national uniforms on the counters, and they were substituted as miniatures. And I actually got the idea for Gettysburg the Wheatfield when I did that with uh, VPG uh, from my playing of System 7 Napoleonics. Okay, I was reading about that game. So that has stand-up counters in it, also, right? It brings some. Or... Uh, Wheatfield. Yeah. Yeah, that has that's actually uh, a miniatures board game. Uh, the map was designed by Rick Barber. It has no hexes or spaces. It's just a terrain map. Oh wow! And okay. The yeah, and the pieces are are set up as as they would be bases for a miniatures game with uh, actual photographs of miniatures taken top down on top of them. So. You can, you know, you play it as a regular miniatures game without the painting and without the cost. Cool. Okay, that does sound neat. Um, <laughs> so, so, what kind of games do you like to play? Is it mostly? It sounds like it's mostly war games. Oh yeah, it's definitely war games. Uh, uh, I was really big into miniatures, as I said. Uh, it got into Napoleonic fifteen millimeter. I had thousands and thousands of painted castings in the nineteen nineties. Our club was basically doing that. Um, you know, then life circumstances. I had to sell my collection off. Which oh wow! Was, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was a shame. So I got back into board gaming at that point. Um, so I like playing mostly war games. Uh, I, I would still play miniatures if somebody had some miniatures to offer to play. <laughs> I don't play too many Euro games, um, though. There are I do have a few few favorites. I, I like them. I love Last Night on Earth. Uh, Robo Rally is one of my favorites as far as, 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 as pure chaos, which I really enjoy in my gaming. Um, there's this game called Galaxy Trucker, which I just mm-hmm. left hysterically playing. And my guilty pleasure is probably Munchkin once a year, which I used to play with my kids and absolutely loved and had a great time with it. 
I've never played Munchkin. My wife has it, and at work she has a Munchkin tournament every year with her coworkers. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, you know, it's one of those games you just laugh. You can't take it too serious, and, and when you, especially when you play with the kids, they just, uh, they love it. it. It's just so much fun. Uh, neat, yeah. Um, so how often are you playing solitaire? Uh, well, not so much anymore. I've been very busy. I haven't had any time to really play solitaire games. Uh, the first time I got into solitaire specific games was when VPG started coming out with the States of Siege games. Uh, you know, before that I did what every other war gamer did for the most part is play, you know, multiplayer games myself, which I didn't enjoy too much. And then, so when, when you have a, a dedicated solitaire design come out and VPG did it so well, that really got me into solitaire gaming then. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah, I, I was playing something, a multiplayer game, playing both sides the other day. I, I find it hard to do that. I mean, you know, in one, in one well, aspect I, it's fun, but the other hand, I, I just find it really challenging to, to be able to control both sides and feel like I was being fair to both of them. Oh, let's, let's face it. I, like, like you probably, I get bored by pl- playing by myself. You know, it's like... <laughs> Uh, part one of the reasons I game is for the adventure and the unknown, and you know you you have yep. to be very talented to be able to fool yourself. So uh, as far as you know, I, I would just solo those games to learn the system and find the nuances of the design, and then after a few turns, I would just get bored with it and say, okay, well, we'll move on to something else. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's I find it hard to do. I mean, sometimes it's been fun, but for the most part, it's, it's just overwhelming, I guess. Yeah, I do it now just to, to basically learn the system. If I if I plan on playing something with the guys at the club, uh, I might break the game out and try it just to get you know to get through the rules and find out what's going on. Okay, so so let's talk about your games. Um, the first one you published was Dawn of the Zeds, right? Which was actually reprinted again recently and upgraded and enhanced a lot, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, strangely enough. <laughs> Dawn of the Zeds, uh, actually Gettysburg the Wheatfield is my first game that I got published. Dawn of the Zeds came second, but I actually submitted Dawn of the Zeds to VPG first and it got rejected. Okay. <laughs> so it, I, uh, I had played uh, the story of that game as I was playing uh, Zulus on the Ramparts as one of my uh, uh, solitaire designs. And for some reason it struck me, maybe it was the Z and Zulus and the Z and Zombies, but it struck me this is a perfect vehicle to do a, a zombie apocalypse game. So I actually designed... Uh, my very first version of Dawn of the Zeds sent it over to Alan Emmerich, and he said it was it was pretty bad. But the great thing about Alan is he doesn't just reject your design and send you off, you know, you know, to 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 cry. He actually showed me what I what I did wrong and to try it again. And you know, he he encourages new designers, and he's he's responsible for getting me into this. Uh, so in the meantime, while I, I had talked to him about uh, System 7 Napoleonics, I actually designed Gettysburg the Wheatfield first, and then I came back to Zed's after you know learning the whole design process, and then I resubmitted it. Okay, so it's a very different game from your original... Oh, much different, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it was also a States of Siege original. It was always a States of Siege, again, I guess. Uh, yeah, but you know, my first version, I'm coming out of that war game mentality. So my first attempt at it is, you know, you do what you know. So it was, it was just too war gamey. I see. Okay. So, so was this game themed after any specific, like a zombie movie or anything? Is it more just of looking at all general zombie tropes and throwing them in there? No, it was, it was just, you know, I, I liked zombie movies I wasn't one of those real fanatic type people about the zombie thing, it, but the the theme just seemed to fit that States of Siege so well, and uh, I just wanted to make a fun, chaotic, adventurous storytelling game uh, with a zombie theme to it. Uh, it wasn't, mo- you know, people, <laughs> even at the beginning we were debating, well, what kind of zombie should we have? Should we have the George Romero really slow zombies or the, the 28 Days Later really fast zombies? You know, what should we do? And so we got a little bit of everything in there. So everybody should be happy. <laughs> okay, cool. I think I read somewhere that you, you you made this game after you played All Things Zombie and you weren't quite happy with that or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I played All Things Zombie, the board game version, and I was I was so disappointed because I had actually been looking forward to that game. I like lock and load stuff generally. And I was just taken by the 
my opinion, I know there's people who really enjoy the game, so I don't want to, you know, uh, discredit their opinion of the game, but I just felt that there was just no life to it. There was no adventure. There was no story to it. You know, these things were just popping up, and but where's the backstory? Where's all the tension and emotion of what's supposedly going on on the board? And I just didn't get that. So when I did Dawn of the Zeds, I set out, I said, this this game's not going to be about winning and losing. This game's going to be about taking you on an adventure. Okay. And, you know, experiencing the the terror and the and the unknown and and trying to deal with it. I see. You know, I had all things zombie. I, I bought it. I traded for it, and the copy I had was when I got it, it smelled like mold. And I put it on the <laughs> shelf, and I pull it back out once in a while, and I try and pull it, and I just the smell was getting to me. I finally threw it away about a week ago. Never got to play it. Oh wow! But it's just you know, oh, we had we had an issue with mold in my house a couple of years ago, and I ended up losing a bunch of stuff because of that. I'm just terrified by the stuff now. Oh well, that's, so, that's a shame. Yeah, so so I never tried the game. So I guess I, I don't know what I'm missing there, but that's that's okay. So um, well, like I said, you know, it was a popular miniatures game at one time, and I, you know, like I said, I it just didn't have any soul. I didn't feel. I see. Okay. Um. So so when you play the game, you start feeling a story coming out. You mentioned that's in there. Did did you deliberately plan a story, or does it or just or how'd you come about with that story? Well, it started off as a generic zombie apocalypse game then as we went on we said well we need we need a little bit more depth to this you know there's got to be more options if we do an expansion there's where 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 does the story go we can't just keep piling on more zombies and you know just doing the same thing over and over again and thankfully uh this gentleman who was a play tester and, and he's a fantastic writer david spangler uh got together with us and he can and this man can write and we got together and he developed this 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 fictional storyline with dr martus the evil doctor and the alien artifact and this thing's now grown into its own you know its own whole storyline and it's just wonderful and it gives us more options as we develop the game uh you know how, how to go to the story and add more dramatic uh dimensions to to playing the game so it's not just you know, zombies blindly walking forward. There's all sorts of other elements now in the game. Okay, yeah, I know as I've played it, I wonder about, like, that doctor and what <laughs> his deal is and all that, so... Uh, to this day, I don't know how Dave came up with Dr. Martus, but <laughs> so we'll, we'll go with it. I think it's very out of left field. I was not expecting it when I when I first came across it in the game. Did you have plans for more expansions for this game, then, or...? Uh, we well we have uh, we have an expansion that's in playtesting right now called uh, Dawn of the Zeds: The Director's Cut, and that's a direct expansion uh, to the second edition Dawn of the Zeds. So that is going to be you know uh, more fate cards, more event cards, two more heroes, two more super Zeds. Uh, so it's that's going to be more piled into the second edition game. Wow, that's going to okay. come in. They're going to sell that like in a clamshell. Uh, so it's just going to be cards, a small counter sheet. Um, and uh, we, the two new heroes do things that are very different. The two new Super Zeds do things. We, we've got a lot more awful cards in there. I mean, they're really some of them are some of them are really bad. Because believe it or not, we have we have uh, Wes Ernie. I don't know if you've seen his posts online, but uh, he he's managed to figure out a way to win a lot at Zeds. So our, our mission, and he helped actually with our mission, is to was to defeat that strategy so that oh, okay. <laughs> we like people losing uh, 99% of the time in the game. So the game is too easy. Wow, I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest with you, that was, that, that was one of our goals, is, is we wanted to make sure that we invented a game that people would lose a lot at and not mind. And they would actually enjoy losing, and that was one of our main goals. Is that a is that a hard process is to to get that I guess win ratio or lose ratio in there? Is it a very iterative process where you're going back and forth and trying? Yeah, to Yeah, well, you know, especially with with a game that that started off as a simple concept and has grown so many tentacles <laughs> that when you're play test, I mean, people still ask me questions today. Uh, the game's been out what two years now? I think two and a half years. Mm-hmm. They still ask me questions that did not come up in playtesting because it, now the design has gotten so interravelled and, and complex that you know you can't account for every single uh, situation. So 
it, it, it it's it's tough to do. Uh, it's tough. It, it, it's it's been quite a it's become quite a monster actually. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I guess that's probably why you don't have much time to play games anymore. You're busy make working on these. Wow. So yeah, yeah. So the next solitaire game you released is in magnificent style. Mm-hmm. Which well, I guess it came out after the first edition of Dawn of the Zeds, right? But before the second edition. Um, right. so so where did this game come from? Did it start as a as the theme or the mechanic? Uh, that was that was actually a, a mechanic that I had this idea. One of the things I try to do, and I'm sure a lot of designers do this, but you know, I'm trying to do things that people don't normally do you know i'm trying to design from a different angle or do things that are that many people considered impossible to do um you know picking intentionally tough battles to do like uh, duel of the eagles is is about the battle of marshall tour which is a very tough battle to recreate but to me as a designer i want to do these things you know i want to be challenged so we were trying to think of you know these these really one-sided lopsided battles and how could you how could you make them a game uh and the the concept started out as a World War One trench warfare game because I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of well, fan, you know, I, I'm very interested in World War One, and I said, well, you know, you lose this whole section of World War One when the trench warfare starts. Well, how can you make a game out of trench warfare? So this mechanic came into my mind about utilizing a push your luck system, which I don't know how I thought of this, but it just all evolved from a very simple dice game that I played as a kid with my German grandmother called Schwein, which was a pig, and it was just rolling two dice and you added up. It taught me taught me math very nicely too. <laughs> you know, you add the two dice together and you can keep your points, but if one of the dice is a one, you lose your points for that round, and you have to hand the dice to the next person. If you roll two ones, you'd lose all your points that accumulated to that point. And I said, oh, this is kind of a cool push-your-luck mechanic, you know, where you're rolling and rolling, and when do you stop and when do you keep going? And I presented the idea to Alan Emmerich, and he he loved the idea, but he wanted to do something that was a little bit more palatable than World War One trench warfare. So we thought of something that would be uh, a little bit more uh, interest to, to people. So we came up with the idea of uh, doing Pickett's Charge. Okay. And, yeah, that's how that evolved. Okay, yeah, I I would like to play a game on World War One. Also, I do wish there were, there were more well, solitaire games. Uh, uh, Duncan Rice is doing. We have so the, well. The system has become known is is the Death or Glory system, and it's about one one sided, lopsided assaults. So we do have a game by Duncan Rice on uh, called uh, In Magnificent Valor um, about the Battle of Beaumont Hamel during the Battle of Somme in World War One. And Hans uh, Stockhausen is doing a game called um, A Near Run Thing, which is about the old guards attack at Waterloo. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so we got a couple of games in the works that are going to follow up on this. Any, any idea how far out they are? Uh, they're, they're fairly close. I, I don't want to say when. Mm-hmm. Because it depends. Alan always, gets, Alan always gets mad at me when I try to, try to predict when tell people the games are coming out soon. Well, I don't want to get him mad, so, so that's okay. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> have you ever been to Gettysburg? I have. I've gone what about three times. The the last time I went was after Gettysburg the Wheatfield. While we were working on Gettysburg the Wheatfield, and uh, boy, that was uh, you know uh, I don't know if you've seen Rick Barber's maps, but he does such a wonderful job. He's got everything down to the last rock on the battlefield. And as I'm playing the Wheatfield, I'm, I'm playing on this map, and I'm going, I got to go there and see this place, and. Uh, so I finally got a chance to do that, and I stood there and by Stony Hill, by the wheat field, in Roses Woods, and it's just remarkable to see, you know, in, in right in front of you, this map that you've been playing on, to see it in real life in three dimensions and and get the visuals of how far things are. Everything's much closer to each other than you actually envision it when you're playing the game. Everything's right there in front of you. Oh, wow, Okay. Wow. So is the, I mean, for Magnificent Style, the ma- I imagine the map is pretty abstract, but is it the scale and all that pretty accurate or? Yeah, it's fairly accurate. I mean, it's the, just, it, it's, the, it's obviously abstracted and, and, and it's mm-hmm. general feeling. Everything had to be worked into that grid, but standing there, you know, standing there at the location at, at Gettysburg is haunting. It really is it, to see the, what they had to cross and, and, and to think about what they went through to, to make that attack, it, it did 
it did add to the to the emotional aspect of the design. Mm, okay. Wow, that's interesting. So, so did it influence how you designed the game? You think? I mean, actually being at Gettysburg. I think it just makes you appreciate the futility, and you build the futility into those, you know, the event shits. So you, you know, you try to get that feeling put into the game, so that the player, you know, one of the things you have to do in that in a solitaire experience like that is, is challenge that solitaire player and keep him interested in the game or she interested mm-hmm. in that game. So constantly on the edge of your seat and tense and that the futility of that charge works into that whole drama of that of the game too so as long as you can get through the event shits get that feel into your playing like you're like you're there and like you're trying to push your men across this seemingly impossible task uh yeah it, it definitely directly influenced the design okay you know t- talking about the the way that the the, the reality kind of soaks through when you're playing the game the next game we're going to talk about, Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. I, I played that game, you know. I played through it, and then I get my, I finish my game, and I have my score, and then I look at the chart and says, "Well, in reality, it was they did way, way, way better than you did." And just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when that thing sense like, well, "Wow, that really is amazing." It's stunning what it, they managed to do. Yeah, and all the credit for that game, the, the inspiration for that game goes to the co-designer Paul Fish. He's a, he's been a friend of mine for thirty years. He read a book about Dunkirk, and he came to me one day, and he says, hey, would you want to do a design? I think this would be a great solitaire design. And I looked at him, and I go, damn, you're right. <laughs> I've never thought about it, you know. But, you know, that whole situation of, of Dunkirk is a perfect solitaire design opportunity. Yeah, uh, I'd seen a, I'd heard a podcast a year or two ago about Dunkirk. I don't know what podcast show it was, but they talked about Dunkirk and the miracle of Dunkirk, and I thought, that seems like such a neat solitaire game. I know there's a couple of games on Dunkirk. I haven't looked into them. It came out yeah, really good. Yeah, and they never, they you know, nobody's done. I don't think this has been a solitaire design done on it. I'm not sure. So, uh, so when Paul came up with this idea, I was like, wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, he knows I've, you know, he obviously knows that I've been work, you know, I've worked on states of siege games, all that. He says, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the historical research and, you know, play test the game, make sure it has the right feel. You do the mechanical part. You know, to get this working as a design, and the two of us worked uh, worked together on it, and it was uh, it, it it really worked out. I was very happy with, it. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't know very much about Dunkirk at all before when I started the project. So, you know, I I did some reading up on it. I go, oh, you know, we, we can add that, and let's make this. You know, the whole both of us came up with this idea of like this is not a war game. This is not about the Allies fighting. You know, you as a player fighting the Germans. It's you getting these guys back to England. So it's an evacuation game more than it is a war game, per se. Yeah, the, if trying to fight is so futile. I mean, you don't have a chance. <laughs> yeah, the idea is to hold them off as long as possible, and then when you go from into June, when you can't create your evacuees from, you know, basically from thin air, you know, how do you extract these guys who are now holding the Germans back? How do you extract them to get to the beaches and get off? It's 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 a it's a tough it's a tough thing to do. And you know, all these solitaire games, really, the, to me, one of the main rules of a solitaire design is you you have to make it very hard for the player to win. I mean, I'm sure this has happened to you, and it's happened to me. And I won't mention the games, but there's been solitaire games I bought and I played and I beat it the first time. I was like, yeah, okay, great, you know, and off to the shelf and went. Yeah, never look at it again. Right. You know, you want it to be like those great uh, computer games you play where you get that one scenario. I, I, know I used to play a lot of Command and & Conquer, and, you know, you get that one scenario that was just impossible. <laughs> I kept going back to the computer. I'm going to beat it this time, you know, and, and you go back and you go back. And, again, that was part of what how Zed was designed is that, you know, you're just drawing people back because they're getting their butts kicked, and each time they play it, it gets a little bit better. So the same thing with Spoiled Victory is that, you know, if you just go in there the first time you play, you're probably going to lose and lose badly. So what do you learn and how do you, you know, the game constantly has to challenge you to keep you coming back. Mm-hmm. So so how, what kind of scores are you getting when you play? Because I'm finding it hard. I'm, I guess I'm getting, oh, I'm getting an a- average in the 40s maybe? Oh, we were, man, when Paul and I were playing the game originally, we were getting in the mid-30s. Okay. Yeah. 
I have to I have to confess, and I, the guys on guys on uh, Board Game Geek know this that I stink in my own games. I, <laughs> I really, you know, and I don't know if that's I, I don't know. I haven't talked to other designers about this, but I, you know, you spend so much time getting the game right and making sure it works and making sure the rules are clear and making sure you have it. You know, you don't you don't think too much about actually winning at the game. You know, it's just like you know, I want this to be realistic and I want this to be fun and I want this to work right and I want it to be clear. I, I'm not thinking about when I'm playing it. I don't think about winning. I think about should I fix that or should I fix this, you know, or should I adjust that? So no, I I've never done really. I think Paul once score, scored in the 40s when he played. Okay, you know, and that's you know that's part of the the, the difficulty of designing is that that balancing. You know, if if him and I are getting. 30s and 40s is it possible to get a 50 that's what you have to make sure is that you haven't created uh you know a goal line that's impossible to reach so in that whole design effort you have to make sure that it's it's physically possible to get there mm-hmm. and it is okay Wait, i got a 50 something i'm pretty sure i got the rules right i'm not positive uh-huh. but uh, i got it i managed to get a 50 to the last time i played i think oh that's great yeah, yeah but it's still not well, even close to reality game. though and it's it look it's like all those salty games you know if the, if you get if you get a bad run of cards you know you're screwed <laughs> yeah uh, if the Luftwaffe attacks five times in a row and wipes out all your evacuees on the beaches what are you gonna do it's it's part of the game yeah and that even that happened that scenario I managed to to build something like six troops and or six uh not troops but evacuees in in one turn mm-hmm. and the beginning of the next turn the Luftwaffe wiped out five of them oh <laughs> <laughs> it does happen. Right, and, as, and each time you play, you know, the idea is that, well, oh, okay, so I, I, if I do that a little bit differently or if I don't leave as many guys on the beaches and I try to work to, you know, getting maybe into that, you know, the staging area, it, it, hopefully it's a learning process and, you know, you'll you'll do better each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, where do I want my troops to start on the map? Do I want more near the Germans or do I want them farther away or what? And like I said, it's a learning process, and it's fun to to try the different strategies out each time. That's good. I'm glad you enjoyed the game. And Chris Chris Hansen did a great job developing it. You know, he uh, he's the developer for White Dog. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he adds a lot of great input into it. I mean, these these whole design things, the developers get a don't get enough credit. They really don't because they're the ones who are supposed to, you know, try to break the game and beat you over the head and and, and tell you that you you know this needs to be worked on and that needs to be worked on and you, and you have to accept it and, and take their advice and they're usually right. Okay. I guess the whole design process it seems like a very strange and esoteric thing. I just <laughs> can't imagine how it goes from a, an idea into a final game. Oh, that's the hardest that's the hardest jump, isn't it? I mean, just about every gamer has a design in their mind out there. It's like jumping from AAA ball to the major leagues. That's the big leap. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in my particular case, I was lucky, lucky to, you know, to have Alan Emmerich teach me how to teach me how to do this. He took the time to do that. A lot of big companies won't do that. I mean, I had been developing, but in the nineties I did development work for three W and clash of arms. I had a game submitted to Avalon Hill. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, well, I did. It was called Fairways and Flames. It was a game on, on combat golf. It was a sport I had, <laughs> it had all had all characters and and jet balls and sniper putters and it was this whole thing. It was a lot of fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it designed by somebody. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, published by somebody one of these days when I go back to it. But you know that's all part of the learning process too. But again, you know. Somebody has to. It's like getting a novel published, I guess. You know, you got to find that one break, that one person that believes in you and teaches you how to do it and gives you a break, and then it starts flowing. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so was a, a spoiled victory. I mean, it, as I played, it reminds me of States of Siege games, and I guess because of that linear movement. But was it inspired by the States of Siege series at all, or was it? Um, I, you know, it just. I don't know that I consciously did that, but because you know I have that States of Siege background, I guess that's. You know, when Paul first suggested the idea, and we were talking about how to lay it out. It just, it just kind of fell into that pattern, where you know you, you had to have the Germans approach. Now, you know, states of siege always comes down to one point. All the tracks reach one point. Well, each, each of the ten German armies have a different point, an end point. So that's mm-hmm. different. 
And there's a lot more movement up and down the tracks for the uh, for the Allied player, for the solo player, than in a normal States of Siege game. And then, of course, you got the evacuation tracks, which go basically backwards from from what would be the normal endpoint, but from a States of Siege game. Um, but definitely, I mean, I, I can't deny that that you know your first conceptual model of how this should look starts with, with that kind of tracking. So yes, yes, yeah, States of Siege was a big influence. So, so all three of the game, solo games you've designed have a, a linear mechanic, like a linear movement. Was that a conscious choice? Like, did you go out and say, I really like this linear movement mechanic for solitaire games. I'm going to use that every time. Or did it just work out that way? Again, I don't know that it was a conscious decision to do that, but it works. And I think the reason it works, uh, you know, the, the, the solitaire-specific games that I've played in the past... You know, if if you try to do too much with the uh, with the artificial intelligence side, you know, the side that's being played against the solo player, mm-hmm. you, you don't want the player to spend a lot of time doing the system's move. You know, you want the player to concentrate on what he or she is doing. And the easiest way to do that, I think, is with this this as you say this this linear movement. You know, because it's the simplest way to you know, and it's it's versatile enough that you can add a lot of flexibility into how these units move and what they do to you. So the simpler you make it, you, you, the better it is for the solo experience because, you know, the player can just move those other units and then he can concentrate on his or her, you know, strategies and, and, and actions. So I think, I think the linear system works out the best. I mean, if you make it too complex to move the other side, if it's, if it's too flexible... And the person's making tons of decisions for the other side, trying to get them, you know, trying to get that other AI side to move. And that yeah, might detract yeah. from it. At least I, that's my experience. I've played some solitaire games like that that are either they're not specific enough, that they just give you a general idea of how you should move the opponent. And then it just leaves it almost too much up to your own judgment. So it's like playing, a, you know, a multiplayer game by yourself. Yeah, that's or, right. Or they get too much into exactly how to move that other side and it's so there's so many options that you spend a lot of time just doing that so i I think this this tracking idea which as you said before kind of you know was perfected in that states of siege system i i think that's the best compromise system as far as doing this solo i mean i'm sure there's others that can be used but to me that's that's the way to do it i think you're right i mean it makes sense because the enemy is moving forward Right. And you know they're heading to you, and it gives you an idea of how to make a strategy against them. Mm-hmm. And it's not complicated. We're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what the rule book means. You know, what does it mean? <laughs> yes. And in the end, it's just going to move forward, right? And yeah, so, let's face it. You know, guys, if you're playing these solitaire games, you don't want to have to work too hard. <laughs> <You know? laughs> not for the other guy. <laughs> yeah. So, right. You know, and and the idea is that, you know, you, you want the system to do something to you so you can react to it and work on your strategy. but Man, if you're playing, you know, if you're spending too much time figuring out the AI's move, I think that just detracts from the experience, and you end up putting it away and going to watch a movie or something. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, I, I think that the tracking, this, this kind of tracking linear movement, seems to work best in the solitaire games. So now you've got some multiplayer games and some solitaire games. Um, do you find it a very different experience designing one versus the other? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the solitaire thing's a lot harder. Uh, Is it really? I think so, because, you know, you have to make that that solo experience challenging enough to, you know, to let that solo player have fun playing your game. So making sure that this inanimate opponent... Uh, mm-hmm is good enough to challenge that player and keep them entertained is, is really tough. I mean, it, it has the a solo system has to generate its own excitement, its own challenges. Whereas in a multiplayer game, you know, the, the, your other players are generating that for you. So yeah, I, I think, I think designing solitaire is a lot tougher, but well, it's designing good solitaire is tougher. <laughs> I guess it would never occur to me that for, I just assumed it was easier because you only have to worry about one person. Yeah, but you know, you're almost—it's almost like you got to program a robot. That's <laughs> true. Know? 
you know, in a, in a multiplayer yeah. game, you're giving each of the other the players the basic mechanics, but you're not making any decisions for them. They're making their own decisions. In a solitaire game, you have to make the decisions for the other side, too. And you have to make them intelligent enough to challenge the solo player. That's the tough part. That's true. I, I, you know, I never yeah. really thought about it. I guess I appreciate solo games even that much more now. So are there any other solid topics you'd like to cover in a solitaire game? Any that you'd like to get to someday? Well, uh, uh, Paul Fish, the uh, the co-designer of a Spoiled Victory, he's got some ideas to do something with the Crusades. So that's that's kind of cool. He was he was working on the Battle of Hatton, which is a very one-sided battle. So that would be kind of a cool. Uh, you know, we were trying to think of ways to generate a tactical solitaire game. Uh, you know, where these outnumbered Crusaders are trying to you know fight their way out and everything. So that that was kind of a cool idea. I've, I've been toying for years. I've toyed with the idea of doing uh, the Korean War as a solitaire game. Hmm, I would okay. put that intriguing. Um, and the Seven Years' War. You know, the Seven Years' War, as a solitary experience where you're Frederick the Great being assailed from all sides by the Austrians and the Russians and, 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 uh, and the, uh, the French, it's just, that's, that's a situation I think that could be that soloed very nicely. And then, of course, there's, there's a lot of, you know, you can do fantasy and you can do sci-fi where, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, uh, restricted by historical events, where you can let your imagination run and and have a lot of fun doing a sci-fi or a, a fantasy setting. So that's something I'm going to toy with in the future too. Yeah, I've always thought it'd be neat to see a, a a game about an actual siege. I mean, the state of siege games are they're not actual sieges; they're they're more like armies moving in right towards the central goal. But it'd be neat to play something where there's an actual siege. And I, th- I guess there's the castle siege game, but that's it's a little too simple, I think. Yeah, you know, that's actually a good idea. Maybe I'll steal that. <laughs> <laughs> Please take it. <laughs> I just want to play it, so go make it for me. <laughs> that's true, yeah. I mean, actually doing a siege might be might be an interesting... That's, a, that's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you could do it I'll from my side. I'll say that anything in the woodwork for him. <laughs> he's, got, he's got so many games at VPG lined up over there. Uh, you know, the, this whole solitaire thing's really taken off. Even uh, uh, Mike Kennedy over at White Dog Games, who was... It was kind enough to publish uh, a spoiled victory for us and did a great job with it. You know, he's got a whole uh, solitaire line that he's starting too. And, and mm-hmm. it seems to be, um, he's got a game coming out called Confederate Rebellion, which is about the, you know, it's American Civil War done solitaire. And, um, it, you know, it seems, I guess, as the wargaming population gets older and we move away and retire and, you know, things happen, people get out of the hobby that, you know, we need more solitaire-specific designs to be out there because we're more, you know, more lonesome gamers out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people just like playing solitaire games. I think it's something people haven't really considered a lot in the past. There used to be a fair number of designs back in the day. You know, Ambush mm-hmm. and all these other games that came out. Right. Um, uh, the Pull Butter for D-Day. Uh, was it D-Day at Omaha, Omaha Beach is a nice game. The RAF game is a nice game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there are, there are a few of them that were well done, yeah. So so it's nice to see stuff is starting to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, new, newer, more modern games. Right. And just different styles of game, which is always just fun to see. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. You know, you want to... The States of Siege engine is great, and, but, you know, you... To me, I want to start looking into doing, you know, breaking out of that mold and, and looking at other options to do as, as far as solitaire games go. Mm-hmm. So happens with that so or is there anything you're currently that working on i'm sorry the death of glory series is one of those you know that, again that was another attempt i made to, to, to try to how do you do solitaire in a different style and again it has that that tracking that you said but it's a different approach than states of siege i'm sorry interrupt. yeah it, it totally <laughs> is well, uh, when that one the player is the one that's moving in a straight line not the enemy yeah, exactly exactly yeah, yeah I, I really think that's my favorite of the the, the three of, of yours i've played so far Thank you. I just li- I like that pusher. Like it worked really well. It, it seemed in in that particular setting where you're talking about these uh, forlorn hope attacks of of history, and, and, and it opens up design avenues that weren't there. Uh, like, you know, people, you know, you can do Custer's Last Stand. You can do all these battles that you know, oh, I can't do that. It's too one sided. Well, that you know, we created that to be the vehicle that maybe you could do some of those games. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it in a traditional two player. 
war game style. Well, not normally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can go with the theory of, well, you know, the little bighorn, and if Custer lives, you win, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, you can't do that with everything. Yeah. So so is there anything else you're working on that you could talk about right now? I mean, I think you've already dropped a couple hints here and there. <laughs> yes, I did drop a couple <laughs> of hints. One thing... This this whole game design thing, I, you know, once it starts going, it it, it goes, uh, and I'm sure other designers feel the same way that once you you know you get something published and you you're somewhat successful at it, the the ideas just keep I just flow into your head now. Now everything is like, oh, I could design a game on that, or that's a good idea for a game. <laughs> so I got, I mean, there's a lot of things working. Um, I got two games that I'm going to demo next week for GMT at GMT East. Um. Those are two, you know multiplayer war games. Uh, I got a game coming out from White Dog Games on the Battle of Cedar Mountain. I've got one game in. Uh, we're going to submit to Legion War Games. Uh, VPG. We I said we got the expansion coming out for Dawn of the Zeds. Um, oh my goodness, what else is going on? I have a, a different proposal for for VPG, a game called The Undead Zone, which is. Uh, an attempt to do a zombie war game. I'm actually, okay. actually going to split the difference and do the first ever zombie war game. So it's not a skirmish game. It's not, uh, you know, one of these tongue-in-cheek games. It's an actual army of zombies versus a National Guard army. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, on the solo front, uh, I was actually, uh, Alan Emmerich and I talked a while ago, and I'm going to, I can't do it right now because it's just, uh, just too much stuff going on, but... Mm-hmm. I gave him a proposal for an expanded Death or Glory system, which was going to be a, a, a game, of, a kind of a star, Starship Troopers type of game, which would be an expanded version of Death or Glory where you're taking Starship Troopers and they're trying to knock out alien installations you know, around the universe in a Starship Trooper type of pattern. And nice. uh, there would be a lot more flexibility, and there would be a campaign mode so that you would actually you know, attack this one installation uh, on one planet, and depending on how well you do there, you carry forward your losses or your gains and your earning, you know, your medals and all that, and move on to another planet. So it would be a series of uh, you taking this regiment uh, through its galactic uh, cleaning up of alien installations. It's uh, so that's one that's one thing we've been talking about doing. That's neat. That sounds fun. Yeah, we thought the whole campaign aspect might be kind of fun, where you carry forward your losses and carry forward your, uh, you know, if you do well, you earn points and your your your, your uh, starship uh, gains assets that it can give to you as you're playing and, and assaulting and you know fighting an alien race just opens up the uh, event shit possibilities endlessly. You know, you could just let your imagination go and all sorts of things can happen. So, yeah, we thought that might be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. Cool. Is there anything well, that's else? That's what I'm working on. It's been very busy. Okay. Is there anything else you want to share with listeners? Well, I I just want to thank everybody. Uh, you know, fans of of, of these games. Uh, I really appreciate uh, people being interested in the games, and and you know they've generally been well reviewed. And I appreciate you guys uh, publicizing them and reviewing them, and and uh, every. But he's been fantastic on Board Game Geek and Consum World. Uh, the Zeds, the Zeds crowd is just—I I just laugh hysterically when I read some of these after-action reports. <laughs> it's very entertaining to read people's stories about, uh, uh, you know, what happened in their games. It's very funny, and uh, I, ju- I just appreciate it. It's a, it's a great—it's uh, a great hobby, and you know, I've been blessed to to be allowed to design games. It's—it's it's really. It's really a lot of fun to do this, and it, it keeps me busy, but it's a fun kind of busy. Well, we've been lucky that you've been designing games because you've been making some real cool ones. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Well, Herman, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for taking the time to, to talk with me. Thank you, Albert. Thank you for the opportunity to do a great podcast, and uh, I'll keep listening. All right. Have a good evening. Thank you, you too. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I think it was a pretty good one. So as I've mentioned already, the game I'm talking about today is a a spoiled victory, Dunkirk 1940. So this game is about the Battle of Dunkirk. And to give you a little bit more background on that, um, I, I mentioned in the, in the interview, I, 
heard some podcast about it. I don't know which podcast show it was. It might have been the History of World War II podcast. Anyway, so, so the Battle of Dunkirk, basically what had been going on is the Germans attacked France in 1940, and it fell very quickly. The, the French basically surrendered. And at that point, there's a bunch of British troops and French troops and all these that were stuck in France and were overwhelmed. If, if they stayed to fight, they were definitely going to lose. Um, so they all started retreating towards England. And once they reached the, the shore, the northern shores of France, of France, they were in, at Dunkirk or near Dunkirk and they needed to evacuate. Or maybe they chose to go to Dunkirk because that was probably the best place to evacuate from. I don't really know. There was about 400,000 men trapped there and about 800,000 Germans advancing on them. You know, odds are really bad. So, so they, so they did an evacuation. It's also called the miracle of Dunkirk. And probably the reason is because out of those 400,000 men, 338,000 actually made it back to England or made it to England because some of them were French. Not all of them were British people. British soldiers. So, I mean, it's shocking that what a huge percentage actually were able to get out without uh, having to lose them as casualties or prisoners or anything like that. And the whole process was about 10 days. It started on May 26th. It was finished on June 4th. So in 10 days, that's 38,000 men a day that got out through the beach at Dunkirk. The way I understand it, there's these jetties, and I guess jetties are basically like piers, very small piers or something like that. And the men would have to go out on these piers to get on the boats. And then the boats would take them out back home. Um, because there's so many men that had to be rescued and because the British Navy only had so many ships, the many British citizens actually took their own private boats and to help out. I don't know if there's commercial boats or what. I understand there's also private yachts and that sort of thing. and Just big boats, little boats, all kinds of boats went across the English Channel to France, got the people they could, and took them back to, to England. And I imagine some people took multiple trips if they could. At first, only British people were being evacuated. The French weren't. Eventually, they started also getting the French out. I don't know why that was exactly. I think there's some politics and disagreements and that sort of thing. Um, probably some hard feelings. And, you know, that plays out in the game. Um, but so, so anyway, so that's the setting. This is 1940, northern France. A mere 400,000 soldiers are stuck at Dunkirk, or near Dunkirk, and there's 800,000 German troops advancing. It's a hopeless battle. So they're trying to get off the European mainland and make it to England so they could fight another day. So now the game. It's published by White Dog Games. It was designed by Herman Lutman and Paul Fish. The art is by Tim Allen. So this is a war game, and this is a war game where you're obviously not going to win a battle. So you're always in trying to fight and defeat the Germans. Or it's trying to get your men off the island. So I think it's at the island, off the mainland. So it's not the typical kind of war game. There is combat in here. You definitely can fight, but it's not the kind of game where you're trying to fight and outdo your enemy. Um, really, the goal of the game is to retreat your soldiers off the map. So let me tell you a little bit about the components. You get a bunch of counters. You get the map, which is a paper map. You get some dice, and you, you get some cards, event cards, and then you get a couple charts and the rules. And maybe a box, depending on the version you get. Um, the counters are amazingly thick and really nice. They're, they're like the quality... Of a victory of the newer victory point game counters, just super super thick. They're really nice. And as I'm popping them off the the counter sheet, I, they snap. They sounded like they're made of wood or something. They're just really impressive. The cards are less impressive. They're not as nice as the new victory point game cards. They felt a little bit thinner, but they're they're more than adequate. This is an event driven game in that you're playing a lot of event cards, and that decides a lot of the action that happens in the game. So what the map looks like is you have a it's point to point movement. There's a lot of spaces. There's spaces let's say more or less along the southern edge of the map, along the bottom of the map, where the Germans are gonna start. 
and they're advancing north towards the beach and towards the Dunkirk. And then your units are all in between the Germans and the beach, and you goes to retreat them. Now, the top portion of the map, the top third or so, is the water, and the water also represents the jetty spaces. I feel like I'm stumbling through this. Um, let me try again. The map is, there's two parts of the map. There's a lower th two-thirds, probably, that is the point-to-point -point movement, where all the combat units are going to be at. And the top portion is the beach and the and the ocean. Their units can move onto the ocean. Basically, there's spaces there to represent the jetties on which the units were moving to get onto the boats. There were three jetties that were used in the war. One of them was open later on. The other two are available from the beginning. Um, some are longer, some are shorter. Some tended to be safer than others just because of where they were positioned and where the German guns were positioned and that sort of thing. So as I said, there's the German units are going to start along the bottom and they're going to advance towards Dunkirk and the beaches. The The way the German units move is very linear. They start and they're following specific paths to go from you know space 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 to 5. And each one stays on his own track. A few of the tracks meet at the end. So there's some spaces that are like the fit space for I and J and that sort of thing. But generally they stay on their own path. The, however, the Allied units, the French and British, and even Belgium units, can move across paths, and they don't have to follow that linear path. You can send them anywhere. So, in this game, you're going to set it up. You're going to have all the units out on the board. You have a bunch of counters that represent evacuees. They're going to start on the board, and then you have a few other counters for tracking different things. The Your combat units... Well, the first thing that's going to happen in turn is you're going to draw an event card, and it's going to you're going to read the event text, and that happens. That's you know some free-form text. You just read it and do what it says for that turn. Um, some events are good, some events are bad. It just depends. Uh, then you're going to draw another card, and that's going to be the Luftwaffe attack, where the, they're going to be shooting at your soldiers. You know, during the battle, while these guys are trying to retreat and get into the boats, they're often being shot at by, by German planes. So the card's going to tell you what part of the board the, the Germans are fly, flying over and shooting at this time. It could be the beaches, it could be the jetties, it could be Dunkirk, it could be some of the tracks where the units were fighting out in the, you know, some of the tracks where the units are fighting out in the countryside. So you're going to, for each unit that's in that target area, you got to roll dice, and either they get hit, and they could be eliminated, they could be reduced, flipped over their, their weaker side. They might get a suppressed counter and just be stuck in the space they are for a turn. Generally speaking, if a non-combat unit, an evacuee, gets shot at, his odds of surviving are pretty low, and if it's a combat unit, they're pretty decent. So that's going to be a second phase. The third phase, you're going to get to evacuate any units at the end of the jetties ready to board a boat. That tends to be pretty straightforward for some of the jetties. For some, for one of the jetties, it's always straightforward. Another jetty, the shortest one, unfortunately, you have to roll dice. And if you roll above a certain number, the units are either eliminated or reduced. And probably, you know, and if they're still alive, they're probably suppressed. There's a small chance where they're going to be able to get off and get onto the boat, and you get victory points for that. Well, there's a smaller chance that they're actually going to be able to get onto the boats and leave, which is incidentally how you get victory points in the game. The next part of the game is you're going to draw another event card, and this is going to be for the German units to move, the ones that are on the board, and they're, you know whatever units it mentions are going to advance on the track. If they advance onto space as your units, there's going to be some combat. Combat usually goes... Combat is brutal in this game. The German units are pretty strong. Your units usually end up having to retreat or take damage, and that's that's a typical combat round. Either retreating or taking damage or both. Next phase, you can draw another event card, and it can tell you how many actions you get for that turn. You could use the actions to move your military units around and have them fight, for example. You could use them to create new evacuees, depending on what part of the game you're in. You might be making brand new evacuees, or you might be converting your, your combat units into evacuees. And you could do a few other different things. But this is probably the main part of the game where you have the most choices to make. And then after that, you can draw another card for more actions, which are specifically evacuate. Depending on whether it's there or not, you're going to get a different number of 
action points. So that's going to be the whole turn. You're going to go through all the steps. Draw an event card. You know, do whatever the event says. Have the German shoot at some of your units. Evacuate some of your units onto boats if you can and get some victory points. Uh, let the Germans will then advance on you and crowd you back into the beaches in Dunkirk a little more probably. And then you're going to take your main action phase and then your evacue action phase. And you're going to keep repeating this. The game plays over a number of turns. Like I said, the, the Battle of Dunkirk was 10 days. The game has a day phase and a night phase, so you end up having actually 20 turns. So that's basically the flow of the game. I was hoping not to get into that much detail. I keep wanting not to get into that much detail because it always feels overly, well, too detailed and long. But there you go, I've already done it, so I'll leave this in. The thing is that that information doesn't really give you a feel for the flow of the game and how it works. Well, it's, it kind of explains how it works. It doesn't really give you a feel for the flow of, and the feel of the game. You, you know, when you're playing the game, you spend a lot of your energy getting guys out on the beaches and into the jetties and away to freedom. You don't really spend a lot of time doing combat, and as, as you're watching your areas get smaller and smaller, you know, it's a little tense, a little nervous. Are the Germans going to reach the beaches before you get out? enough time to evacuate as many people as you want to evacuate. So I've really enjoyed this game. What I liked about it was I think it really it captures the the flavor of the battle really well. You know, the the desperation kind of shines through in this game. How hard it must have been to get everybody off the beaches and onto the boats in, in just 10 days. And, you know, it's really amazing is when you play the game, you go, you, you, you play, maybe you feel like you did pretty well, you maybe don't think you did that well, or whatever. Either way, you have a score at the end, and then you look at the chart to see how you did, and it tells you that the score that you got to get to get a to match what really happened, you're nowhere near close, no matter how well you did. Because I think, I think like thirty points is an okay score where you you're not playing very aggressively, not getting guys off the island very, or off the mainland very aggressively, but you did okay. Um, that's probably about thirty something points to win. You got to have some like seventy two points. The way you get your points, I hinted at it earlier, is you get points each time you get an evacuee onto the, off the jetties onto the boat. Um, an evacuee is either worth one or two points. If they're on the strong side, they're worth two points. If they're on the weak side, they're worth one point. And the way you get evacuees, you start with some on the board. Some are two, some are value one. You could raise a value of an existing evacuee using one of your action points during your action phase. Um, cost one action point to, to make it from a 1 to a 2. And later on, when you're... In the first part of the game, you could, that's the only way you could make evacuees, is by crea- or by raising the level or just by creating one on the beaches. Just from all the soldiers that are milling around and that sort of thing, I guess, waiting to get off. That's the first six days. Once June hits, then you could start converting soldiers into evacuees. And you can no longer just make evacuees from nothing. Um, at that point, a full-strength soldier becomes a... a Level 2 evacuee, a half-strength soldier becomes a level 1 evacuee. And again, you can still upgrade evacuees. And the victory points is basically 1 point for level 1 evacuee, 2 points for level 2 evacuee. So you really got to rescue a lot of counters to to do well in the game. One of the other things that, that kind of shines through is the frustration of that during the battle, the different armies were just not working together. The French and the British and the Belgium armies were not communicating, not really working together. Um, so for example, there's three really weak Belgian units defending one of the cities, and if that city, I forget the name of the city, but if it falls, then you're going to get shot at whenever you try and leave through the jetty that's near that city. So you really don't want that to fall. There's no way those guys are going to survive, and you could never, you can't even move on to their side of the board until they're dead and gone. Um, and basically that's what really happened. The Belgian army just wasn't work. The British and the Belgian weren't working closely at all together, and the British stayed out of their way until they were basically all captured or killed. Um, also, the fresh French and British won't work together. They, if they're both in the same space, they, they'll defend each, but you can't move them together. You can only move one or the other. Um, the you cannot evacuate the French until the last couple of days of the of the battle, just because the British weren't helping them out at all at first. So you, when you play this game, you get a lot of sense of that history in there, and I think that was really cool. So yeah, so this is a game I really like. I, I recommend it highly. It's fun game. The The production is good. It's One of the reasons I was interested in getting this game was because 
uh, I want to see the production quality of a White Dog's game. So when you buy the game, there's three different versions to pick from. There's a print-and-play version, which is about $20, a printed version with a, a folio version that comes in a bag for about $30, and the deluxe version that comes in a box for about $40. Those are prices for U.S. customers. And the box is nice. It's put together. The The cover is seems like it's a big sticker put onto the box. I think they made the box themselves, which is really impressive. I've made a few boxes before for print-and-play games. It's hard to make a box that looks nice, and these boxes look great. I mean, sticking the, the, that sticker sheet onto the box is really hard to do it and, and make it look like it was straight and that sort of thing. That's something I've struggled with. So I think it, it's definitely a very high-quality game for for a small print-and-play publisher like this. Okay, and that's it. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek or you can email me at OnePlayerAlbert at gmail.com You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek List on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening. <laughs>